Well, hello. And welcome back to another scary, scary edition of Ghost Stories Told from the South. I am your host, Stephen LaBooth. And we got some great, great stuff for you today. Some scary, scary stuff to make you go ooly booly. Well, hope everybody's happy to grow happening <laughs> having a great time a great day hope all's treating you well hope you're not being too spooky and scary out there but the holiday season is getting closer guys you know august is going to be done over with before we know it and it's going to be um october baby school's already starting i can't wait i love october I just wish I just wish Halloween would stay around a lot longer. But just want to say thank you to everybody who keeps subscribing and listening. And it, like I said, my numbers are growing, getting bigger. But I want to hit 8,000 downloads, guys. Let's try to hit that 300 mark of followers. We can do it. Mm, excuse me. But... Enough of me being goofy. Just want to say thank you, guys. You don't know how good it makes me feel knowing that uh, there's actually people that's listening to my podcast and enjoy it. But anyways, guys, we're going to get on with the old uh, ghost story. So why don't you sit back, relax, get you a nice warm blanket, get by the fire, make you some cocoa, strap in, and get in for some scary, scary stuff. Okay, our first story <clears throat> is the St. Charles Hall in Carl College. And this is in Canada again. Bishop John Patrick Carl's guest to open a Catholic college in western Montana. I'm wrong. This is in Montana, not Canada. I'm a jackass. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, Western, in Western Montana became a reality when 50 acres on Capitol Hill were donated to the was donated for the uh, future college. The other land needed for the college was bought by one bought by oh a hundred thousand dollar fundraising. Uh, Stuff they did in five and fifty thousand dollars donated by Mr. Hill, president of the Great Northern uh, Railroad. The cornerstone of this college was led on September 1909 by the president Taft, by President Taft himself. Mount St. Charles College opened it opened on September 22nd of 1910. Offering offering beautiful classes for boys in ten and for ten and older in four years of high school. The first college students entered the college studies program on September twelfth of nineteen eleven. This college picked up the uh, nickname of Jack's uh, Jack uh, Jack's Castle. Is this even on? Okay. 
Sometimes I uh, forget to turn my mic on, but it's on. Bishops John Patrick Carl celebrated his silver jubilee of his joining the priesthood in 1914 when he was given 22000 on his grand occasion. The good bishop immediately turned the money over to the president of the college to pay off debt still owed to the school. The college was ready to grow in both size and areas of study. Throughout the 1920s, the college added pre-law, <coughs> pre-law, pre-medicine, and a two-year basic engineer consultant and a, a department of education. The new buildings, which were built on campus, housed the gym and science department, a chapel, the library, and more residence rooms, and a convent, which was built behind the original buildings. When World War I began, the drain, of, the drain of school students, Bishop Carl jumped into action, and the school signed up to be a training center to keep the doors open. When Bishop Carl died in 1925, the Bishop Finnington, who took over and continued to nourish and enlarge the dreams of the college of his predecessor, he took many trips to personal to personally recruit students in uh, socialist funds <coughs> to boost the athletic department. Bishops uh, Fingen recruiting the assistant football coach of Notre Dame in 1931. Bishop had the name of the college changed to Carl's College in honor of uh, in honor of Bishops Carl. Hard times hit the college because of the Depression years, but the college stayed open because of the generosity of the faculty who agreed to uh, redo the, who, who agreed to have salary cuts. To make things harder, dev, destruct, a destructive earthquakes hit Helena and Helena causing buildings. Wolves which had to uh, be worked out. From all the fallen stones and new astronomical building was uh, constructed by students under, under the direction of Dr. Edward Newman. I wonder if he's kin to Paul Newman. What a coinky dinker. In 1936, Carl College became an official, uh, an officially a librarian arts college for men. After high school, moved to another, loca another location. Again, during World War II, the college missed the uh, lethal finances bullet by becoming a V V a V five naval <coughs> training center, setting up a V twelve program for young men in the Navy to study and live there. After the war, the college began a civilian school once once more experienced great growth. In 1946, the women entered uh, Carroll College to participate in a three-year nursing education program in cooperation with the Sisters of Charity. The college conducted or the college continued to grow for the next 40 years. Then in 1989, a huge explosion uh, 
and a railroad car near the, near the campus caused serious damage from the blast. Serious damage from the blast and from the loss of electrical power. Despite the despite all the con, despite all the stuff that happened, the college continued to function with with a great grace because of the considerable effect all is well repaired by the fall of 1989 so they got everything repaired by the fall of 89 after the explosion all right now here's some of the manifestations of the ghost paranormal activity besides housing and education hard-working students were who attended this catholic college other other titles seen and unseen make this place their home. St. Charles Hall fourth floor room is sealed because of because of recurring blood stains in in sync in an appearing of an apparition of a student who hit his head on the sink and died. The li- the living see the reenactment of the student jumping from the stairwell. To his death. St. Albert's Hall. Hallways. On the top floor. Is the student union. The living see an apparition. Of a nun floating about. She died of an illness. In this building. Mmm. Lovely. What else do we got? Oh this is the theater. Oh, well, okay. Well, I guess that one's done. I grabbed the uh, too much there. Yeah, because that's the next story. Well, a scopadaboo. I hope you enjoyed that one. That one seemed pretty creepy. So, uh, if you ever go to that college, guys, let me know how spooky it is. I sure would appreciate it. <laughs> All right, our next story is the Mount Baker Theater. It opened in Bellingham in 1927, and ever since the first o- it first opened its doors, the building seems to have been plagued by ghosts. Just some of the reports that have been recorded here include unexplained noises, cold spots, strange disembod- disembodied voices, Balls of light, and even the odd apparition. There is a resident ghost of a young woman named Judy, and for years the theater has not had reports of her developing crushes. Oh, it has. Okay. Okay, anyways. Judy for years. The theater. Okay, she's. This ghost develops crushes on people, on the uh, male workers and ushers at the theater. When she picks a crush, they'll hear their names called across the stage or they feel ghostly touches on their backs and shoulders. She's like, hey boys, hey. That would still flip me the fuck out. I mean, even though she's being nice and saying she likes you. I'd still turn and run. 
I'd be like, sorry, I, I just, I don't do, date ghosts. With all these strange paranormal activity going on, it's not difficult to see why the theater is considered to be one of the most haunted places in Washington State. That seems like a cool place. This chick apparently uh, will give a little crush on you and be touching you and stuff. Kind of creepy. Needs to keep her hands to her damn self. I'm just kidding. That would be weird, though. Alright, our next story. Our next story is the Manitoba Legislative Building. The ghost of the Legislative Building. She walks the upper galleries of the ornate legislative library late at night. When the lights are out and the only rural people around are security guards. She wears a long dress more in keeping with early 1900s than today's fashion. Her gray hair is tied up in a bun. She does not bother anyone. Her ghostly shadow moves silently, restocking illusionly books, folders, and binders. One time, a security guard, guard caught her reading at a table. When he asked her how she got in the, in a, into a locked room, <coughs> she vanished, poof, out of thin air. Right before the guard's eyes. She only. She's only been seen a few times. But the staff of the Manitoba Legislative Building. Library and, library and security guards. Are kindly aware of her presence. Although harmless. None of them care to spend the night. Waiting to hear. Waiting for her to reappear. She's just one of these spirits said to haunt the legislative building. A Winnipeg landmark stepped in a hidden in plain sight mystic, mystic message, messages and suspended links to the uh, occult. Its monocenic symbols are an a are a, its its symbols are an archaeology work of art. That was a tongue that was a tongue twister, guys. Sorry if I'm a little tongue tied. I'm doing this one a little late tonight, but it's ghost. No such fun. A spooky moon floats, floats over the golden boy. There is another female ghost that is said to wander the basement in the hallways of the building. The one, this one sings, her voice gently and quiet, but still echoing through the natural night noises of building of a building opened in 1920 the ledge was uh, the ledge was built on the original site of Osborne B Bar Barracks 
which was established in 1873. There are other ghosts, too, such as one spotted by a security guard during a late-night walkthrough of his uh, hallways. Or of the hallways. I thought it was an intruder. She, uh, I thought it was an intruder, she said recently. Within seconds, she realized that she saw, although human in form, was anything but. My hair just stuck up on my end of the back. My hair stuck. My hair stuck up on the end on the back of my uh, neck, and I froze. She said. She said she considered hitting an alarm, but in the instance, the apparition vanished. She just has not seen it since. Other security guards have heard similar stories, but the uh, brush them off. Ghosts aren't real, right? <laughs> That's what you think, jackass. Still, how do you explain locked doors that open by themselves? The sounds of women, women's high heels clicking on the marble floors when the building is empty. The books that fall off the shelves when the building is closed. Sometimes you get a shot of static electricity that seems to float around in a ball. One guard said you're on a marble floor so you can't blame it on the carpet. Other ghost stories include the man who walks the southeast second floor hallways wearing a long black suit and top hat. He's even been spotted on the gar on the grand staircase and when approached he either vanishes or passes through one of the thick stone walls. That would flip me the fuck out right there. That's where I'd draw the line and be like, okay, uh, I don't think I want to work here anymore. Sorry. Yeah, that would scare me. Then there are the ghosts of three men who have meet who have meetings each evening in one of the in one of the two large community rooms. These these rooms do not see daily use, but have been their share of instant politics and debates. Maybe the walls harness the energy and release it whenever they whenever it wants. Local tour guide Christian says that there are more unearthly visitors. Apparently apparently there's some boys there's some boy's spirit downstairs in the basement area. She said, you know, you know how some of the doors have planes of, plane, panes of glass in them. It's not clear glass. And from what I understand, a security guard was doing his rounds and saw these boys inside an office with their hands cupped over cupped around their eyes looking at him in the hallway. Ah. Oh, with their hands cupped around their eyes. Oh, like binoculars. Ah, oh, God, that's still creepy as fuck. I would definitely shit. He kind of thought, what the heck are these three boys doing in here? And he went into the room and, of course, there's no one there. 
there's tours that are conducted of the haunted places in the uh, Winnipeg building. <clears throat> and another one, another ghost there that she tries to get the boys or their spirits to interact with. Oh, they take a ghost tour and this woman tries to get the boys to talk. We've had a medium come with and with come with us on several occasions, and she thinks they are connected to another spirit persons who has been seen in the building wandering around. She said, "Said it's going without going without saying. It's all very spe uh, spectacular. However, these spirits exist." We have stuff happening. People express tingling in their hands when they are doing the uh, dowsing rods. People start freaking out. Ghosts of the legislative building are pretty, uh, pretty uh, active. Here is a single gunshot in the morning is what it, the story starts out to say. I'd be I'd be pushing it to say his apparition haunts the building but his his legacy definitely does. Ralph McNeil Persons, Deputy Treasury Minister for the uh, province for the for 26 years, shot himself the 38 caliber revolver in his first floor washroom of the legislative building on February 19th of 1947 <clears throat> about 11.15 a.m. So he did it right before lunch. He's like, fuck it, I'm not hungry anyway. I don't want to eat. His is the only confirmed death in the building. His suicide stunned the government and then the, pri the premier... Stuart Garson and the newspaper paper, uh, newspaper coverage that followed Parsons 54 was allegedly as one of the most uh, detected civil servants to work for the province, but also described as being in a different health in the months uh, leading up to his death. Persons who took his job who took his job September 14th of 1920, helped steer Providence Treasury through the 1929 stock market crash, the Great Depression, and World War II. He also considered one of the uh, architects of what became the modern federal... Oh, the he, yeah, he became... One of the uh, architects of what, excuse me, of what we uh, know now for of the modern uh, federal equalization payment system, in which the <coughs> sorry, my allergies got a little tick in my throat, in which the federal government shares revenue with the uh, province. He he was also on the ground floor for helping to create Canada's employment insurance system. Have witnessed what happened during the height of the Depression 
when so many uh, Manitobians were out of work in the province got caught with unexpected uh, expenses. On December 30th, 1931, though, police arrested Cash... Oh, wait. Okay. I went too far. I lost my place. It's caught off guard unexpectedly. While Parsons' tensions covered some of the worst years of the past century, he was also uh, also dogged by scandal that broke out under his watch. On December 30th of, 19, of 1931, police arrested cashier Marquise Jones and our accountant James Spaws, wait, Spools, both employees of the Treasury Department, and it was a uh, fun. Oh, after it was found, a hundred and two, a hundred and two, one hundred and two thousand dollars, approximately one point six million in today's money, was missing. A letter, bo- a year later, both men were sentenced to four years in prison. Both men stole the money over five years, using a bookskeeping slit offhand to clean up at the uh, horse races. Betting on out-of-town horses, horse races with Winnipeg bookies, according to the uh, newspaper. Wow, that's quite a scandal there. Maybe that's why he shot his fucking self. Parsons and other Treasury Department officials later had to fight fight uh, the courts that one million had equally been uh, been pulled from the province uh, coffers. Lindsay Garden, okay, it it talks more about this scandal, but anyways, this place seems pretty freaking haunted too. Man, that one went real into detail about the place. But that place seems pretty damn righteous. I want to go visit it. Seems pretty cool. Man. I you know, I cover a lot of haunted stuff, but it just it's crazy like especially in offices and um places like that. Capitol buildings. Uh, you know, suicides happen a lot there. People jumping out of windows or motherfuckers get caught up in scandals and they're like, uh, I'm just going to kill myself. All right, guys, I am going to get ready for the next story. Our next story is the Cooper King Mansion. William Andrews Clark started off his adult life going to law school for two years. He taught school in Missouri for a year before getting bit by the gold bug in 1862. He and and his friend headed for the Bannock and worked a claim for two years before uh, selling it. His true genius was the art of being a business entrepreneur. He began by hauling supplies to the mining camps and evolved into helping miners manage their fund, their findings. He made his fortune through re, uh, recording claims 
for minors in making loans based on their claims. His many, uh, his many mining and bank activities started with the personal fortune flowing, which at this height at was about $17 million a month. Damn. By the 1900s, he was one of the wealthiest men in the world, having a f- uh, fortune around, woo, man, $500 billion. That's crazy. Back then, <coughs> of, uh, of course, Clark put his fortune to good use. Besides being generous to a various of uh, charities in the uh, Presbyterian Church in Booty, <laughs> I go to the church in Booty. <laughs> Can I put my priest in your church? He invested more money in business opportunities. He owned ninety-seven percent of Jeremiah Mine. In Arizona, and had bought mines and booty as well. He owned newspapers, sugar plantations, and a large sugar factory in Los Angeles. He also was instrumental in the funding of Las Vegas. He owned the W.A. Clark Wire Company in the New York based Henry Board Bronze Company, among many other businesses. This damn guy had too much money. Clark built mansions in several other cities, including New York, Santa Santa Barbara, Washington, D.C., Paris, France. However, the town of Booty became the family uh, residence. By the 1800s, he and his beloved first wife, Katrina or Catherine, had six children in, uh, in a need for a large place. In 1888, these this glorious 34-room brick Elizabeth Victorian mansion was complete, and Clark and his family moved in. The mansion and booty was a real showpiece of his wealth, costing him a half a million dollars, but it was money well spent. Oh. Ugh. My booty's going to sleep. Tom and I stayed here in the summer and took the tour. It is most be- it's a most beautiful mansion we uh, that pfft, it is a most beautiful mansion that we've ever seen. The floors were made of inlaid wood, and the woodwork was hand carved throughout the mansion. One also sees steam glass windows. Four coast ceilings and lovely antique furnishings. The top floor housed a 64 foot ballroom complete with its own organ. The bathroom on the second floor, that floor not only has a glorious huge claw foot bathtub, that's the old big white bathtubs, and their legs are like claws. That's them old ones, them big deep ones. <laughs> uh, like claws, but also the uh, unique shower which squirts water from all directions. Many of the rooms have lovely, have lovely hand-carved 
customized mantelpieces, each designed by European craftsmen, especially for the mansion, and each from a uh, different wood. Catherine died in 1893. Clark remarried in 1901 to a lovely woman, Anna Litchpill. She thought, I'm in the money. With whom, with whom he had two daughters. One of these girls died of smallpox at the age of uh, 17. But the other daughter is still going strong in living in New York. Or probably not now, but. After Clark and his second wife passed on, the mansion was inherited by Clark's son, who liked to gamble. Oh, yeah. The mansion was sold to an outside person who sold all, who sold all the existing furniture. Oh, man. That was in the mansion. After becoming the owner's private residence, the mansion was eventually sold to the Catholic Church and it became a home for the town's Catholic nuns who ow who turned part in the top who turned part of the top floor into a chapel. In the rooms of the ballroom area the nuns didn't appreciate the the fresco which was painted on the ceiling in the master bedroom so they painted over it the mansion was put back on the market when the uh, nuns moved out some years later and stood vacant for three whole years <coughs> the new owners started at once to clean out the uh, cobwebs and dust and all that renovating the mansion to its uh, to its uh, former glory while the owners were able to buy back some of the original antiques owned by the Clark family, many other antiques similar to the ones which uh, existed in the area were purchased. Also, the owner, the owner loved to have collections, which today are still here on display, including dolls, hats, toys, clocks, and other uh, cups and stuff. All right, let's see and talk about the ghost at this place. Through very personal, through the very personable owner of its bed and breakfast mansion, stated that there no there are no entities in this absolutely glorious mansion. Others have reported. Feeling the presence of a cold entity hanging around the game room sometimes. A cheery presence is felt in the old chapel and barroom and can be a bit of a tease with people who were fearful of the spirit of the of spirits. A former tour guide would fit the bill pretty well. Among all they among all the tour guides she was the one who was picked to be the uh, recipient of the uh, act of the uh, hauntings. A light-colored hazel fog, like apparition, likes to float around the basement in the first-floor hallway, and in the top floor of the six-foot ball, sixty-four-foot ballroom, 
the owner had cleared out a cleared out an old trunk one morning, leaving it shut during the afternoon tour. The tour guide who used the uh, used to give tours to the public and guests was unexplained about the uh, barroom area. The lid of the trunk flew open by itself, scaring the uh, tour guide and startling the other people. The tour guide seemed to be the one the entities enjoyed getting their juggles, their giggles from because the person reacted beautifully, being a little scared like they wanted. So... And like they say, it depends on who you ask or talk to, but a lot of people think that this place is haunted. And a lot of people, you know, here's what cracks me up. People think, I don't believe in that crap. I ain't ever seen that stuff. It ain't real. Yeah, it is real, buddy. It is real. Think about this. Think of all the ghosts that sit there and watch you all the time, and you don't know about it. Yeah. Ain't that fucked up? Yeah, think about it. Oh, well, guys, all right. Okay, I'll do these two more. These are going to be pretty long, too. So we're going to do the Oxford Saloon. It has a very haunted history. And it's a little old place. It ain't very big. It's your regular saloon, you know. The Gem of Historic Sonomish is the Oxford Saloon. It was built in 1900 for a decade. It was known as Black Man's Dry Goods Store. It then became a saloon, <coughs> and over the years it has changed owners and uh, uses. But each owner incorporated Oxford in its name. When it was remodeled as a saloon, the owners added a visible to the entrance with a stairwell leading to several rooms to the second floor. Hmm, you know what that was for. These were supposed to be the boarding houses, boarding house rooms, but there are rumors that there were prominent local businessman named Hmm, Catherine for a dude. That's weird. He reunited them as high-class uh, Borlos. So basically, he turned the uh, upstairs into a prostitution uh, house. Oh, it was a girl anyway, not a man. That's why the name was uh, Catherine. <laughs> okay. She did not go into the saloon, but kept an, kept an office at the local Eagles Lounge where she made reservations for her high-tuned uh, clients. Over the years, the Oxford Saloon often 
was the scene of violence, especially around the basement. A man's card room in the bar, one will... One well-documented killing was that of a policeman named Henry. He was a regular at the Oxford and may have moonlighted as a uh, bouncer. One night there was a fight, and when Henry, Henry attempted to break it up, he was knifed and died in the uh, mill, in the millie. Okay. Henry seems to have stuck around, though, and actually enjoys certain aspects of his ghost, uh, ghosthood. Ghosthood. He hangs out around the stairs leading to the basement and has been seen many times in the ladies' room. Oh, he was a ladies' man. Uh, where was I? I hate it when I do that. I look up and lose my freaking spot. Okay, in the ladies' restroom. Seen and felt as many women report being pushed by him. However, Henry was also, excuse me, Henry also disappears when confronted. The second floor of Oxford was now rented out as office space. But at least three ghosts seem to remain from the Oxford dark day, Oxford dark day, darker days. One is a man in a boiler hat, and the other is uh, the others are two women. Some people believe one is Catherine, who the Oxford Saloon in Sonomash haunted history. That's who they think the one ghost is, and they think the other one, of course, is a guy. <coughs> eventually, <coughs> eventually lived upstairs. She is seen as a woman dressed in a purple dress with a purple with purple bows. The other woman is Amelia, one of Catherine's girls. Oxford Saloon in Sonomish. It has been forced into, uh, that she was forced into prostitution. Her dead body was found curled up in the uh, closet and no one knows, no one knows, no one knows, oh wait, I read that wrong. And no one was sure whether she committed suicide or it was a murder. It might have been. You never know back then because them prostitutes and guys would go in and if they found out they impregnated a prostitute, they'd kill them or... It's pretty sad, man. Pretty fucked up. Beginning in 2015, the Washington State Ghost Story Society performed several investigations at the Oxford. Weird Washington spook with uh, Russ and Sandy who were members of another team at the time, but they went to uh, fund the uh, another paranormal uh, investigation team. Sandy and Russ investigated the second floor, turning their tape recorder on and started up and started up the stairs. At the time, Sandy said, Russ, Take some pictures when the uh, tape was just played back later on. I'm going to have to get my bifocals, guys. 
Sorry about that. Well, that's the ones I got on. All right. Okay, where was that? When the tape recorder was played back later on, they heard a male voice echoes, echoes her, her voice echoes hers. A few seconds later, they heard a child's voice laughing or crying in the background. The management gave, the, gave them keys to all the offices on the top floor. They tried several times to open the rooms, only to have keys fall out of the lock as if some unseen hand pulled out before Sandy could turn it on. Eventually, they got it open, some, uh, open on some of the rooms. <clears throat> While this was going on, one of the uh, playback on the playback, they heard a voice say, "I dropped the keys to my room." It was as if they were being mocked, according to legend. Amelia lived and died in the room, and nothing happened in that room during the investigation. Later on, Sandy and Russ would rent their room as an office and reported the uh, furniture being rearranged in it from time to time when they weren't present. So when they would get uh, leave out of the room, the furniture would always move around on them. They entered room four and tried talking to any spirits. They later... They later found they got a response, a, a strong male voice that spoke directly into the microphone and said, I'm the one. As they left the second floor, they were followed by a voice that gave them not just, uh, they were followed by a voice that gave them a, gave them a not so fun farewell saying, y'all, y'all die. Russ and Sandy met two other investigators downstairs and others. Some conversation started. They went down to the lower bar and then the uh, basement. At the bottom of the basement stairs, Russ took 10 pictures of these stairs with, digital, with a digital camera. One of the pictures shows that looks like a man standing in front of the camera looking up the stairs another shows the man running towards the camera because the photos were digital a professional photographer analyzed them and determined it was unlikely that the picture had been altered after it was taken at the end of the investigation one group member used the bathroom as they washed uh, washed themselves he heard a man's voice whisper in his ear, Get out. Remembering to zip his pants up, the man did as he was asked, and in the uh, future, he always remembered to go before he arrived at the saloon. So this guy always made sure he went to the pisser before he went there so he wouldn't get messed with in the bathroom. 
I've already said pretty much the history of the Oxford. But yeah, that's a pretty spooky place right there, guys. Keys getting pushed out of the door. Kids' voices, women's voices, a guy's voice saying, get out. That's some pretty creepy shit. I would most definitely crappy they pants. All right, we got one more, babies. I hope I'm not scaring y'all too much now. <laughs> okay, this is the Pang Pangadis Playhouse Theater. And it is in, oh, Canada. Now, this right here is just um, stories that these people have experienced going into this place. Uh, okay. Alexandria Pandages. Pandages is allegedly reliving his glory days at the theater, at the Playhouse Theater. I guess this guy is the one who uh, built the theater and owned it for a long time. I've seen a chair move in the dressing rooms, voices when there's nobody else in the room, says front of the house manager, Adrian. There, there's a closet where we keep toilet paper and stuff like that in the theater. And I've had staff say the doors have closed on their own. At age nine, Pennington ran away from home and spent his years on the sea. He eventually ended up in Yukon during the Klondike Gold Rush. In the late 1800s. He stuffed his boots with the newspapers to keep his feet warm. Says uh, Sabrina. The president of the University of, Winning, 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 of Winnipeg. Student, Histor student History Association. Pentagate. Pantage, Pantage, uh, anyways, he apparently discovered a new business when, Business one day. A miner offered to pay him $10 for a sheet of old newspaper to have something to read. He realized, uh, he rented out the hall. He got a guy that could read read English, but... He himself was actually uh, illiterate and couldn't read. And he charged miners $3 to listen to someone read this old newspaper out loud. So basically, for some of these miners that couldn't read or nothing and wanted to hear the news, they could go to this place, pay $3, and they'd, it's kind of like an old... That's the first... Uh, I'd say that's the first like form of a news station. Because people would go there... And they had to read out the news. <clears throat> and this is where he met performer Klondike Kate Rockwell, who eventually became his business partner 
and and uh, fiance. They made a lot of money. He took his share of the funds and hers, and then left and opened up his own theater. Jake says he left Rockwell with no money and married another woman. Oh, so he gave her the old shaft two times, took the money, and then said, I'm not going to marry you. See, guys, that's why you don't fuck people like that. You know, it's called karma. She tried to sue him for a, for a breach of promise to marry because you could sue someone for leaving an, un- an arrangement, she says. He said she was making it up for attention, that they had never been engaged. He gave her the price of a train ticket to get home and left her. What a dick. Then he opened the Winnie, the Winnipeg Theater in 1914. It was just one of the uh, dozens of the Valde Valley Theaters he opened across North America. Winnipeg was the first stop for the theater cir- uh, circuits. What they mean by the theater, you actually had... People that go around doing these plays in these saloons and these theaters for people. So you actually had actors, you know, doing their plays or their skits or whatever. Excuse me, I got the hiccups. This is apparent. Uh, this is apparently where you would uh, test good theater. He himself spent a lot of time in Winnipeg testing out the acts to see. In the Winnipeg audience, like them or not. Then he would apparently fire fire performers on the spot if the Winnipeg crowd did not like the show, which meant if they were coming from the uh, Chicago to try out and act here, they would be. Uh, Stranded in Winnipeg without any social supports. Jack said, Janky, or she says, he was a kind of a, <laughs> this is not me saying it, this is them. It's just, this is a woman talking about him. It says, he was kind of a dick, so it's not surprising his ghost would play tricks on people. So apparently this guy was a dickhead in life, and he was so involved in the theater and even after he died, he still haunts the place doing shit. And she leads historical tours of the uh, Exchange District in the uh, Playhouse Theater is one of is one of the stops. One on one tour, a woman said she was performing there in the 1980s. She was on stage, right, waiting for. Her cue to get on felt a tap on her shoulder from her friendly from her friend Amelia. She ran out on the stage, looked to the stage left, and saw Emily. There's no way for her to get uh, from point A to point B that fast. So basically, she felt the tap on her shoulder and thought it was her cue to go out. 
So when she went out there, she looked, and the girl was on the other side of the stage, and she's like, there's no damn way. Well, there's been reports, you know, of that of him doing that, his footsteps, and he can be seen all around the theater. So if you're ever, if you're ever in the theater, watch out for old... Watch out for the owner. He's a real big douchebag guy here. That one seems pretty cool, too. I wouldn't mind going and checking it out. Seems like they got a lot of spooky stuff that happens there. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed the show today. I hope I didn't scare you too much. <laughs> but don't forget to check our Facebook page out. Don't forget to check our YouTube page out. I do videos, too, for the podcast. Not everyone. I usually do a video and then I'll do, then I won't do one for a video or or, or an episode or two. But I'm trying to stay pretty regular on doing more videos for you. Since y'all like seeing my ugly mug. But don't forget to check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Pandora. um, Pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast on, you can get us. Don't forget guys, do your homework for me. Let's get our numbers up some more. We can do this, guys. I'm very proud of us all. We're doing great, man. I got great fans, great new uh, people coming on to listen to this show, and who knows, man. I think it's going good, and it'll be good. But if you have been listening to this, this has been Ghost Stories Told from the South. And I am your host, Stephen LeBooth. I hope you have a great evening. And don't get too scared, guys. Until next time, keep the lights on, scaredy pants. <laughs>